At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Because like, I've listened to Track's episodes, like the interviews are great, but I like, I think podcasts have got more potential when the interview of the guest is a section of the podcast. Yeah. That's just my thinking. I mean, Whether it's... it's right or not, I don't know. We can we can include this thought process actually in the broadcast if people are interested in listening. We can decide that after uh, for have people's input as well. But like at the end of the day, a podcast is a podcast. It's a long form piece of content. If people want to skip across to the athlete interview or the person we're interviewing mm-hmm. and miss out us waffling for a bit, then that's fine as well. Like it's not going to be a detriment to the podcast performance. Like if it was on YouTube, no. we'd have to. We'd obviously it would cause less views if we had people skipping. Whereas on the podcast, people are free to skip. So the rambling can stay and obviously it provides more context for people who do want to listen for longer, uh, which is ultimately just more valuable for everyone. So, yeah. yeah. So without, without further ado, do you want to have the floor briefly talk about yourself and uh, what, what the crack is with uh, this new voice on the podcast? Technically not new voice. Cause you've been on the podcast before, but I guess new permanent voice on the podcast. Yeah. I think have I been on the podcast twice before. Yeah, because what? we spoke about, yeah, you and then we did a comeback one as well. Yeah, you're right, yeah. So, yeah, they were ages ago. But, uh, yeah, so for anyone listening, my name's Lloyd Kempson. I'm 28 years old, based in London, runner predominantly for 20 years and uh, running coach for the last 10. And I now coach professionally for Nike. And I'm going to be working with Alfie at Trackster. We're going to be working together, joining forces. And um, yeah, I'm so I'm so excited for what we've got in store, man. So yeah, big thank you to be, to you, Alfie, for having me on board and uh, letting me be uh, sort of share 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 this space that you've created, which is excellent. Yeah, I think I know. I don't want to massage your ego at all, but we've had conversations about uh, Trackster and you coming on board, and I've always said that you're the one person I'd want to have on board if I could pick anyone. So it's it's great that we finally joined forces, like you said, and I think. Not going to speak about anything uh, what we've got in the works at a minute, but it's already very exciting. Um, like this is the first official thing we've done together, but it's already exciting with some of the things we've got planned in the future. And I just want to say for any uh, consistent followers and listeners of Trackster and Views or whichever whichever platform, uh, things are going to change a lot this year in a in a very drastically good way. So uh, I appreciate everyone who was here before it's changed, and hopefully in a year's time we can look back and say. There's a lot of new people here and uh, everyone's enjoying the content. So first thing I want to say to you, you just said you're 28. So why are you commenting on the YouTube video with excuses that you're getting old? I, I, I need to know uh, your, your current niggle situation because you're saying you, you've got niggles because you're old and you're 28 years old. I don't think that correlates together very well. It makes me, it makes me feel better about, uh, about myself when a session doesn't go very well or... I'm not running as fast as I like. I know I'm not old. Like I still feel all right, but mate, trust me. Once you turn, once you turn over 25, you realise that your body takes longer to recover, and you have to start training a little bit more smart than you used to. Because 
you can't be staying up late. You can't be eating what you want. You actually, you actually have to be a dedicated athlete if you want to try and get faster. So that was just a joke comment on YouTube. But um, yeah, compared to, I mean, you're only 14, aren't you? So compared to you, I, I mean, I could, I could near enough be your dad. Yeah, I got, <laughs> I got, I got called 16 the other day. Uh, yeah, I'm 23. If anyone believe it or not. <laughs> Which is, it's it, obviously, I'm age is just a number when you get to a certain age, I feel like, because I could pass as a 16 year old mentally and physically. Uh, so, you know, no one, I wouldn't get let into a club. If I tried to buy alcohol, no one would let me. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm actually 23. So I guess comes with the extra few years that I look, that comes with wisdom. So there's always some bonuses of uh, looking younger because when I get to 30, 40, 50, hopefully I'll still look 25. So it's not all, it's not all doom and gloom, but it would be nice to be able to go full beard or uh, at least look over the age of 15 at some point in my life. Well, I like what you're doing with the beard. It's looking good, bro. I like, yes. Yeah, uh, what I Just, like is that you start, you're starting from scratch. That's nice. I actually shaved for this. Uh, we had a call yesterday or the day before, uh, I believe, or maybe even Friday. I actually shaved for this podcast. So I'm not sure if you can see a massive noticeable difference definitely yeah, not right. at all because it's literally a millimeter off uh off uh, my beard so it's not quite there yeah, yet no. but, but, well, but anyway, maybe rather than rather than talking about shaving for, for an hour and a half why don't we talk about um what we're here for let's talk about some running um yeah as Alfie said we're going to do things a lot differently this year at Chaxter. we're going to try and make it a, a more professional outfit but we want more access to sport we've seen good people doing good things and we want to get in on it and we want to be able to show kind of how much how great this sport is um sometimes the good sides of it but also sometimes the bad sides of it i think it's important that we transpire with that um but we're going to change up how we're going to do the podcast we're going to change up the structure and we're going to start that right now so alfie obviously anyone that's been a listener for a little while they know that you know you run an insane amount of miles and you love your double thresholds you love smashing out your sort of 10 to 15 mile workouts but Run me through your last week of training, uh, Monday through Sunday, how it all went. Give me all the give me all the data, man. Off you go. Okay, so Monday and Tuesday were a little bit different than normal because on Sunday I did race a three k indoors against uh, Jake Whiteman, the world fifteen hundred meter champion. That. Oh, haven't I? Uh, I guess it slips my mind. Um, where well, I ran eight hundred one, so I didn't get lapped by the world champion, uh, which is a, a huge bonus for me. Uh, so Monday was more of just a recovery day. I can't even remember what I did Monday. I'd have to go back on my Strava. It, no, actually, that's a lie. I did 20K. So it was just a 10K, 10K double. Have you got, get your Strava up. I'll, I'll go through my week because I, I actually prepared for this. So I'll go through my week while you log into your Strava See, and get training up. How's that, Sam? Th- this is the benefit of having Lloyd on board, everyone. This is, uh, this, is what, yeah. this is what comes with it. So I'll start. So I, I do not run anywhere near as much as Alfie. Um, what's, your, what's your 5K PB, Alfie? 14.04. That needs uh, redoing, though. That's so you're a full 25 seconds faster than me. So that's very good. Anyway, I'm not going to massage your, I'm not going to massage your ego too much, but um, yeah, my Monday was a pretty standard uh, six mile easy run in the morning and then 35 minutes of cross training in the evening with a gym session. Tuesday, I did my first workout of the year. I had COVID at uh, Christmas. So first workout back this year, I did uh, two minutes on, with a one minute float for 24 minutes total. So quite a small session. Wednesday, I did six miles easy in the morning, 
Um, and then I did uh, a small gym session in the evening. Thursday was 30 minutes cross training in the morning and then a six mile easy run in the evening with some strides. Uh, Friday, I did a six mile progression run. So just starting easy and um, working all the way down to a sort of threshold effort for the last couple of miles. And then 30 minutes cross training in the evening. Saturday, six miles easy with five times 10 second hill reps at the end. And then Sunday, I did 12 mile long run. So that was like 41, 42 miles of running. And then I think that's like 90 minutes worth of cross training, something like that. I'm not too sure. But yeah, that was my week, mate. So pretty bog standard, but that's my first week training uh, training back in, the, back in the saddle 2023. I think it's a, a solid week. Like it ticks all the boxes for me. So it's a, it's a good start, I would say. Um, my mm. week, I've got it up on Strava now. So 9.77 miles in the morning on Monday, 3.11 miles in the evening on Monday, both easy pace, seven minute mile in. Um, Tuesday, again, two days after the race. So the original plan was just to come down and help my training partner uh, with a tempo. So that was a two mile warm up in 7.45 mile in. Uh, a half a mile jog to the tempo loop, a four mile tempo in 5.20. So just for context, that's pretty relaxed for me. Um, and then a mile and a half jog back to the indoor track. And then I actually did, I finished off the session with my group, which I wasn't originally planned to do, but me and my coach were like, let's see how I respond to doing something a bit quicker after the race. It's always good to uh, like keep in touch with your body after a race, just to see how you're responding. So that was 600, 500, 400, 300, 200 with uh, two minutes rest in between each rep. And that was kind of 3K pace down to 1500 pace, pretty relaxed, um, just two sets of that. Wednesday was eight miles in the morning and 4.35 miles in the evening. Generally, I, I try to do 12 to 13 miles a day. Or if anyone works in K, 20K a day on my easy days. Uh, again, very easy. Thursday was a two-mile jog to the gym. And then another jog after that, which was 1.4 miles. So that's a bit of a mess. I don't really know what happened there. Uh, but also on Tuesday, I did a 6.29 mile run as well. So another 10K in there. So that was kind of a shorter day. And then also on that day, I did a threshold session. So the gym was after the threshold session. So I just missed the threshold session because I added it I added it manually to Strava. So that was in the morning, but then I manually added it later. So that was just incline threshold for 36 minutes. I'll get into incline threshold in a in a deep more in depth on a different day because it's quite a lot to. We love an incline, don't we? We love an incline threshold these days. Well, if if you want to call two percent an incline threshold, then be my guest. Uh, but yeah, I do. Oh, the, the shade throne. It's just you live in London, so that's probably a, a quite a big hill for you, I guess. Um, Friday was ten k easy, very easy recovery day. Saturday was warm up, and then the session was two k. 10 fours, 2K. And so the fours are off 30 seconds recovery and the 2K uh, was like a threshold effort. So it was, it was like six minutes for the first 2K, 10 fours in 67s down to 64s, 63s, and then another 2K at six minutes. And then I also did a, <laughs> I hope my coach doesn't listen to this. I also did an incline threshold that evening, just an easy one though, 400s. Um, and then I did, a double on Sunday, which was 20k in the morning and 10k in the evening. Um, it came to 90 
three miles, which yeah. for me is pretty standard. Uh, it was like seven thousand feet of elevation, so yeah. it was Definitely it was a that. it's on the lower end of my winter average because I normally probably between nineteen and hundred, uh, but again it was because I raced last week. This week's mileage you, is going to be a lot bigger. Did you say seven thousand feet of elevation? Yeah, I live in Sheffield. It's, it's yeah, I know, I know you do, I know, but I just want to give some contrast there for the listeners. I live in southwest London. My, my biggest hill that I can run up is Richmond Park, which is, you know, there's one hill that is very steep, but the loop is not that hilly. Um, obviously, I run a lot less than Alfie and do more cross-training, but I did ele- my elevation across the week was not even 900 feet. <laughs> I mean, yeah, also, one thing I learned from, from asking you to read through your, your training week was we, we're going to need to schedule more time because you run so much that it takes you about half an hour to read through just Monday. Um, yep. But, yeah, mate, fair. kudos to you. You know, great, great work. And uh, what's the next race? What are you, what are you working towards? Uh, Armour 5K is the next race. So, you know, basically a 4.8K race, but it's branded as a 5K. Uh, yeah. No, I'm joking. It's just really fast. So that's in Ireland. Uh, really good 5K. Yeah, um, 2020, I, I ran 14.18 there, which at the time before, it was like the first year of Super Shoes. So I was like seven full time for under 20 in Britain. And now yeah. I'm like 30th. So that's ideal. Was that the year, was that the year Rory Leonard and Josh Lay ran sub 14? Yeah, but there's another story about Rory Leonard's time there. His number fell off, so he didn't get, to, he didn't get timed. And he just said to the official, I ran 14 or whatever he ran. And they went, okay, oh, you ran that. Okay, so I didn't know that. It's a bit of a conspiracy that I've got going uh, about that. So it's it's an interesting one. I did Armar in uh, 2017, 18. It's a great little race. If you they really they really look after you, the the guys that organise it. When you if you get an elite entry, they you know they put you up in the hotel. I think they pay for pretty much everything, don't they? Flights, hotel. I've got um, race entry flights. No, I've got race entry, hotel, food, and then fifty pounds worth of flight compensation. And if I'd ran fourteen dead or 13.59 I would have got flights for free as well so it's yeah, uh wicked, really mate. good right so we should yeah, we get on with uh, our guest today Matthew uh Matt Choi yeah let's, let's get him involved let's get let's get him on the pod today we're joined by Matt Choi who if you don't know is a runner slash entrepreneur slash content creator is there anything else I missed out there or would you say that that kind of covers the board quite well I think that, yeah, that kind of generally covers the board, my friend. <laughs> and for anyone who doesn't know who Matt is, he is essentially a running, I'd say more of the, the new a modern running influencer in the sense of short form content where you really have made a name for yourself in it. Uh, but also you do partake in quite a lot of different races. And in this podcast today, I was thinking about how we could normally interview athletes and it's all right always hearing how the athlete got into running, how the athlete trains and all this stuff, which we will ask some of these questions related. But I think as podcast hosts, sometimes we have to feel like the value for the viewer is going to be higher if we ask you some serious questions. And I've listened to your podcast on the running effect. Um, and I think a lot of you, a lot of the things you said on there were really powerful. So I'd rather take this opportunity for the podcast, obviously ask questions about yourself and your running and your business career, but also to maybe hopefully change some people's lives as well. So knuckle in for a good podcast, everyone, hopefully. (laughs) Knuckle in, baby. Let's go. (laughs) So first of all, just for some introduction purposes and for anyone who doesn't know who you are, 
I'm going to give you the floor, since that you are media trained to speak about yourself from a content creator's point of view. Uh, do you want to give an introduction to yourself and sort of where you're at with your journey at the minute? Of course, of course. Um, one, super, super grateful to be here, guys, chatting with you. And um, yeah, for anyone that doesn't know, my name is Matt Troy. Um, I'm about my fourth year into content creating, um, kind of being like a part of my lifestyle in that sense. Um, I started as, I guess I kind of give you guys some context. You know, I played football my whole life and I was an athlete my whole life and football was the big part of my identity. And I ended up getting to earn a college scholarship with the dream and aspiration of going to play in the NFL. Um, the latter part of that didn't happen. I didn't have that chance to go play in the NFL. So I graduated with a business marketing and management degree. I got into corporate America, worked in sales, worked in operations, and just kind of in that corporate setting, but realizing that, you know, there's a lot more for me to offer in this world than just kind of, you know, punching in and punching out. And I, I realized that about a year and a half into my corporate job and I got into personal training again, moved back home to my mom's house at 25 years old, big, humble piece of pie, um, living with my mom. And I'm just like, oh shit, like this is not the right step in the progression of life. But um, I quickly realized that everyone's journey is different and you have to embrace your journey. And for me, you know, taking that step back, moving home was a big part of that. I, you know, had a chance to really save money, invest back into myself as a human, as an entrepreneur, as just a person. And I really was working on self-improvement and just changing my mindset, changing the way I saw the world, changing the way I saw business, changing the way I, I, I had solved relationships and everything. Um, and then through that process, I started to find different challenges in the fitness space to just push me out of my comfort zone. When COVID hit, I was reading the book, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And that just started to intrigue my mindset about, you know, what is possible by the human body and the human mind. And I just started to push that limit. It started with doing the Mike Murphy challenge 30 days in a row, which is one mile run, 100 push-ups, 200, uh, I'm sorry, one mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and another mile. So I did that 30 days straight. At the end of the month, it was 60 miles I accumulated as like a base. And then from there, I just wanted to engage my community and then just start pushing the envelope of my running career. So I would just try to go out for like a four mile run. And then the next day I try to go do six miles. And, you know, one thing led to another where I found myself completing ultra marathons, marathons and all these endurance challenges. And I guess the last thing I'll say about the context of this entire story is that I wasn't always this endurance guy. I hated endurance activities. I didn't really run miles when I trained for football because in football, you train to be strong explosive and powerful in endurance it's about enduring pain it's about staying consistent over a long period of time and it's such a different mindset in addition to a different physiological uh, approach as well um but i think you know my journey has been one of pushing the boundaries of the human potential and spreading positivity along that way i mean i don't even know where to first dissect everything you've just said because i'm a massive advocate for everything you've just speak, spoken about and I feel like the thing I want people to get out of this podcast is how they can use your life experience and implement it into their personal life it doesn't have to be running related it doesn't have to be business related it could be any facet of life so the first thing I did uh, want to ask you was along that timeline so you said you started running in lockdown was that is that right yes so that, so that was Three, let's say three years ago now, because it's coming up to the mm -hmm. three years, which is crazy to think about. So Insane. since then, so this is quite a, a strange or not a common thing. Since then, you have ran marathons. And I, I'm correct in thinking that you've run 100 miles, a 100 mile race. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So how, 
how did you go from that to that in terms of I know naturally progressing yourself but why did you keep on wanting to raise the barrier to something else I think I mean Alfie for me it's like I've always had that like what's next mentality right like for me running my first marathon I was like damn that's an awesome accomplishment you know for me I figured that there'd be times where I can you know get faster and drop my time down and hit a sub three hour marathon and all these things but I never lived life of like oh do do something one time and that's it do something one time and like, you know, kick your feet up and like, you know, put yourself on, on the mountain. Cause you've just, uh, you've summited it one time. I think for me, it's like this whole journey of life has been like every single day I'm trying to improve. And I want to challenge myself every day. Like my only goal in life is to be the best version of myself. I don't care about what anyone else is doing. Even the people that I look up to the most, the people that are maybe even competitors for me, I don't look at what they're doing. Could I get inspiration? Do I get motivation from it? Sometimes, of course, but every day I wake up, I look, the person I see in the mirror is the person I want to be. So to answer your direct question, like when I did the marathon, I kept asking myself, I'm like, all right, well, I just did that. Like, I felt like I had a little bit of juice left in the tank. I wanted to try the next thing. And then it led into 50 miles and then the 50 K and then the hundred miler. Obviously when I first got into running, man, I never could have fathomed running 100 miles, but then I just started to do research. And I realized that shit, there's other people that are regular people that have done extraordinary things. Now, let me look into what they did or how they got there or what, what their mindset is like. And I, I, I didn't have to look too far. I mean, you hear stories like David Goggins, like Courtney DeWalter, guys like people like Nick Bear. And these are people that are, you know, they're average Joes in a sense, specifically like a Courtney DeWalter, but they can do extraordinary things. I get so inspired nowadays, not by athletes I see on TV that play in the NFL. For a long time, those were my role models. I wanted to be like Michael Vick. I wanted to be like Cam Newton and all those guys that play in the NFL. But now the people I get the most inspiration from are the people that are defying the odds of what's humanly possible. When I see 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds and 70-year-olds that run these ultra marathons or marathons in general, that's where I get true inspiration from because I'm thinking to myself, like, this is an activity and this is a sport that you can do forever. I can't play football forever. Not even Tom Brady can play football forever, right? But you can always challenge yourself as a human until you're in your deathbed. So that's kind of where, for me, all of this came from. You know, I I was an athlete my whole life. So I always had that like chip on my shoulder mentality. And now I've just applied it into business, entrepreneurship, content creating, running, anything that I do, guys, like if in five years, you and I all connect again, maybe I'm not even into running at that point. Maybe I, you know, did something completely different again, just to challenge my mindset and not get comfortable in the running space. Right. And I think for me, it's always about sharpening my own tool set, my own skill sets, and with the goal of just being better every single day. I think that your accomplishments in such a short space of time, and it is a short space of time, like three years is a long period of time. Don't get me wrong, but in running terms, three years, you know, is not a long sense of time because things can happen. You can have setbacks, injuries, etc. But for someone that's literally stepping into the sport and has shot straight up to 100 miles and within that done marathons and other, and, and other huge endurance uh, events, there must be a lot of fatigue in there. There must have been a lot of days that were, were super tough. And I heard you talking about this on the podcast with, on the running effect about, you know, a third of a marathon build-up is going to suck. When we talk about that third and those days where you are just suffering and in the hurt locker, just thinking like, this is horrible. How do you pull yourself out of that? 
to then think, well, mm-hmm. hang on a second. I have to be motivated to grab the content that I've scheduled today. I have to be motivated to be the person that I know that my audience need to see because ultimately that, that is my living. That's almost like I see that. I look at you, I look at you as, a, as, a, as an athlete and a person, but I almost see two individuals there. I see the athlete that is going to go through those really tough times. But then I also see like I have to play this role where I've got to do these things today, whether mm. I'm doing well in my training, whether it feels good or not. Is that a fair is that a fair assumption? And if not, like how how where's your brain at in those in those moments? No, I mean Lloyd, it is. It's you know, I think to answer your question, really where it comes from, and I've been really reflecting on this because you know, I get that people see me from the outside looking in, like, how the fuck is he doing all this shit? You know? And yeah, honestly, <laughs> honestly, I I I understand that. Like I was driving in Houston this past weekend. I had a two-hour drive and I was reflecting on it on my morning drive. And you know it comes from a place of like gratitude on some real shit. Like the fact that I've been able to turn content creating into a full-time job for myself in the past three, three and a half years, I look around and I'm, I'm blessed, dude. Like even though training sucks, even though there's times where I don't want to edit a video, where I don't want to shoot this piece of content, I don't want to do the X, Y, and Z. At the, end of the, at the end of the day, I know that I'm in a place that I get to choose to do these things. No one is telling Matt, no one's telling me to go film content. No one's telling me to wake up at 5.30 at 6 a.m. to go run 10 miles, right? I choose to do these things. And we live in a world right now where most people don't have that freedom. They don't have the autonomy to do what they want, when they want, with who they want, right? So anytime I feel like I'm like, oh shit, I had a bad training day, or I don't feel like making this piece of content, I go down to that place where when I was three years ago, when I was at my mom's house during COVID, trying to figure out how I'm going to turn this entrepreneur journey into a business, I, I, I had just as much fire back then as I do right now. And I think for people, they don't understand that follower count, making more money, and all those things that come with this career, people let that shit define who they are instead of letting their values and their morals define who they are. Like I'm just so built on the level of discipline and accountability. And I learned this through football and I'm now transitioning it into this life that I live now where I still get to be an athlete. I get to be a business owner. I get to be my own boss and I get to lead other people at the same exact time. So for me, it always like when I think I'm down and out, I really just reflect on the shit I have right now. I live in a two bedroom apartment. I have an, I'm sitting in my office right now. The moments where I'm down and out, I really think I'm like, yo, I got clean drinking water. I live in a fucking AC apartment. Like, when I look at the grand scheme of life, there's millions of people that don't have clean drinking water. So when I'm really feeling sorry for myself, even on the marathon on Sunday, that which I'm sure we'll talk about, I wasn't feeling that good at mile 23 or 24, or 25. My fucking pace was slowing down. I didn't hit my PR goal. I didn't hit my, you know what I'm saying? Like all these things that happened in life, but in the grand scheme of life, us three have it so damn good. And most people can't contextualize that. They think that they're the boss that they have is so bad that their life sucks or the relationship that they're in, that they, that life sucks. At the end of the day, the fact that I have a body that's capable of even running, I'm so fortunate. So even on the worst days, guys, my worst day is not as bad as a homeless person's best fucking day. So that's where I go when I'm like fucking down and out. Running is a, running is a very addictive sport. Um, a lot of runners from all levels, but I see it and I'm sure after you do as well in the elite, the elite end, they've got addictive personalities. And when the, they end their careers, they really struggle because it's like they've got nothing to chase every day. Do you find running addictive in any sense, any feeling that you get from it? 
And do you, and if yes, do you translate that across your business world where the accountability of turning up every single day and accomplishing what you set yourself out to do and obviously seeing the positive results from it, is that, is that an addiction that you would say that is, is a massive driving force for you? I think it is. I think the past couple of years, guys, I've been addicted to learning because for so long in college and high school, I cheated so much. I just got by because I wanted to be like that cool football player that didn't do much, but like got enough good grades to get by. I've gotten so addicted to just learning. Every day I go on a run, I learn something new about myself, about running, about business, about solitude, about having more patience, about being more disciplined. And I feel like every single day I'm sharpening that tool set. So Lloyd, to your point exactly, I think people get addicted to the chase of something, right? And that's what motivates people to keep going, keep showing up at the gym. But I think that there is levels of that that I really do appreciate. And it's less of like the runner's high. I'm not addicted to chasing the runner's high. I'm just addicted to chasing the, the, uh, the process of learning because every marathon is different. And I've really come to the conclusion with this Houston marathon, which I, I performed well, but not, not as well as I thought I was. But it just shows you that every opportunity that you go to a challenge or a race or in a big event, it's, you know, the variables are not always in your control. And with that, you get to learn how you can fight weather, how you can fight wind and heat and all of these external factors that the world provides you day to day. I think that process of trying to figure out the puzzle pieces that make it work for yourself. And this can translate into just life too, right? Just every day. And I think for me, it's that process that the addiction of learning that I really get attracted to running because it's tremendously helped me in my business. Obviously just like, because I get to create content now, but more so for the mindset of like really applying the, the values that it requires to build something meaningful. I found through running and also business. I think that's, learning and i'm gonna break this down a bit because there's a there's a saying where it's the game of chess is expresses life because it's whoever makes the least amount of mistakes and by that that's that comes with accountability so if if you lose at something it's because if you lose at chess it's because you've made a mistake okay and in life if you're always accountable if something goes wrong you learn something from that every single time, regardless of what's gone wrong and how much you actually had an effect on it and how much you could control it. You, if you're accountable, you will learn something. And that could be something tiny. Like just for example, I know this is ridiculous, but it's just a context. I had a bracelet on here today and I've had two and it fell off and snapped. And I could have spent a second or so much time being upset that one of my favorite bracelets, one of my favorite things just snapped. But I was just like, that would probably snapped because I'm wearing two bracelets and they probably clashed together and twisted and one of them snapped due to that. So for me, that's looking at it from two ways. I could, I could sit and be upset about that, or I could learn something from it. And that's don't wear two bracelets. I know it's a bad analogy, but you can always look at life and yeah. see a lesson from it. And when you look at life, the way you do, is it always about self-improvement? And it, like you said, it doesn't matter if it's running, you could be doing something different in four years down the line. Is it just always self-improvement, that next level, the next, next level? I mean, I think that there's always time to appreciate the work that you've put in, right? Like there's time to enjoy yourself. There's time that you don't always have to be sharpening your blade in that sense. But I think the biggest thing in life is that most people don't truly understand who they are. So for me, it's like that quest of understanding self is my game. 
people ask me like, what's your why? Why do you want to do all these things? Like at first I thought it was to serve people, to inspire people. And I think that shit has naturally just come along with the process. But I think for me, I was so lost in my identity as a football player that I started to forget who I am as a man, as a human, not as an athlete, not as a football player. So my quest of this whole journey has been figuring out what's my purpose on earth. And I think understanding self, that reflection of who you are in the mirror, so many people run away from that shit and I'm just going straight into it. I want to I want to dive deep into it. Right. And like you go out for 30 mile, 30 hours on a hundred mile race, you'll find something about yourself. And I think that's been my quest. And to, your, to answer your question, like, you know, I don't always have this mindset of like, oh my God, I have to improve it, improving, improving, improving. Like when, when my mindset goes off from work stuff and I get into my chill mode, you know, as I kind of go through my nightcap routine, I quickly get out of that mindset because that burnout mentality, it happens, dude. When you're hustling all the time, it's easy to get burnt out. So for me, it's like, I have this, like, I, I'm, I'm really getting to understand myself as a person and what makes me tick what energizes me, what what types of people I want to be around because I know I can show up as the best version of myself. I think that process has been allowing me to, one, be in the right headspace. But I think that there's times as humans that you have to like, you have to let shit go. You know, you have to, you know, chill out a little bit, right? Because it's times where it's a balance, right? It's like that 80-20 rule. 80% of the time you can be on, but the other 20, you do need some, you do need some chill time. So I really do enjoy the 80-20 aspect of whether it's in running and content in life, whatever, in diet. Um, I truly believe that if there's not a somewhat of a balance, something that is different for every person, then it, it, it'll definitely lead to some form of a burnout. Let's, um, let's get into the nitty gritty of the hustle, Matt, um, because when you first started content creating four years ago, obviously you wouldn't have woken up with a, you know, a successful business and, and a huge following and everything. You know, this is what we've learned from content creating and, and correct us if we're wrong but it's a, it's a it's an ongoing process you know it's never the perfect article and you're always learning you're always evolving but the, initially it's getting your name out there having a niche having a have, giving value to other people whether it's for education quality of content whatever it may be um i want to understand from you and your perspective of your journey to where you are today in how you've handled some of the obstacles and challenges now for some context of what it's like over in the UK in the running scene, when we talk about content creation, it's received on a little bit um, frosty ground. So for example, if you're a content creator and you're starting from nothing and you start putting yourself out and start a YouTube channel, initially it'll be, uh, you may be publicly praised, but there'll be a lot of people that don't rate it or there'll be a lot of people that think, oh, like, What's this guy doing, et cetera? Laughing behind your back, yeah. for example, right? Yeah. There's a lot of that in the UK, especially in the running in the running world. And it's it's not I don't I don't rate it, I don't like it. Because when you see someone like yourself over in the States, like killing it, first thing I look at, I'm like, I wish more runners in the UK were doing this. Because that would actually benefit our sport because it would open more doors for people to be like, ah, well, if that person's doing it, I may be a bit more confident to start my own YouTube or create a TikTok or whatever. So I want to understand from you. What challenges and obstacles have you faced when you were just getting started where people maybe in your circle or outside your circle didn't understand what you were trying to do, maybe mocked you when you were, you know, sort of grow, growing, your, growing your brand? How, how, did you, how did you overcome that? I mean, dude, this is such a great question because I think it's been something that um, I've rewired my software to understand that you're not going to please everyone in this world. So there's no point in trying to. Even right now, there's plenty of runners that, to your point, old school runners, 
YouTube guys that have built their businesses there or in, on Instagram that don't like my content. They don't like the way yeah. that I create content. They don't like the shit that I talk about or how I create my stuff. And that's totally okay. Because at the end of the day, you can't please everyone. No matter how much positive shit you put out in the world, there's always going to be a couple people that are like, yo, he's phony. He's faking his times. He's, he's bullshitting, whatever, right? But at the same time, the people that give you the love and admiration, you can't let that shit get to your head either. So I think to answer your question, I, do you guys know Gary Vee? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, I've consumed, I've, I consume a lot of Gary Vee's content and the early stages, it really helped me to create the mindset that requires to put yourself out there to become a creator, right? Anytime you guys put yourself out there, you make a video and you make, and you publish it, you're giving yourself the, you're, you're basically putting yourself out there to get exposed in a good way or in a bad way. Now, many people struggle when they get exposed in a bad way and people get hate, right? People start hating on them. People can't handle that stress, but most people love it when they get admiration or when a video goes viral, they want that shit. They're like, oh my God, people are engaging in my content. I think the biggest thing for me was understanding that you can't allow either party, either side of that, that wheel to dictate your emotions as a human, right? You can't let the hate bring you down too much, but you can't let the love make you feel like you're fucking the Dwayne The Rock Johnson either, right? And I think to stay even keel along that journey has been a big part of my success because early on, man, to your point, guys, so many of my internal friends, people that I was close to, it was such a different, um, such a different avenue of business, of work that they're not used to because most people are programmed to just go work a nine to five, right? When you start to do entrepreneurship, you're doing creative shit. You're doing things on your own time, on your own schedule and all, on, on, you dictate what you do. But with, with that, it comes a level of accountability because you have to start executing on those things because there's no one telling you what you need to do. But I think the biggest thing for me was understanding that I'm not going to be able to please everyone and that I shouldn't try to. Because at the end of the day, the people that are really going to support you, they will be there, whether they're there up front and close, up and personal, or they're just morally supporting you, telling you like, hey, keep it going. You guys are crushing it. You're doing something positive. You don't know where you're going to get that motivation or that support from. But I think for me, the biggest thing was understanding that I'm not going to be able to please everyone. So I'm not going to try to. And through that process, I just created this. I calloused my own mind when it came to creating content, understanding that, fuck, some people are going to like this and some aren't. But at the end of the day, if I keep posting, if I keep creating content, after 100 videos, no one's going to see this one anyways. So it doesn't matter. So I just kept putting the reps in just like when you're running, when you just start running or when you get into the gym. Like you can read about how to do push-ups, but at some point you got to get on the fucking ground and you need to do some push-ups. The same thing goes with running and the same thing goes with content creating. I think you have to put the reps in to build up the mindset to keep do, to keep going. On that, and for people listening to this podcast and generally people around the world, I think they're at different stages of, like you said, we'll call it programming. So some people are fully programmed to work a nine till five, do everything how it's supposed to be by the book or how we get taught. So for anyone out there, bear in mind that they're going to be at different levels. And as someone, like you said, it hasn't always been like this. You have reprogrammed yourself. Where do you think people should start? Where do you think people should start to consume content? Where do you think they should change aspects of their life? And how do people make that first step if they haven't already? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with one, having a level of self-awareness. 
if you are going to the job that you're at right now, or if you're in a relationship that you're in right now, wherever you're at in life, if you don't feel a level of happiness and joy when you wake up in the morning, you're not operating at your highest frequency. So I think it starts right there. If you're waking up every day and you're complaining a lot, you have a pessimistic attitude, you see the world half empty, not half full, then that's where it starts. So then from there, it's like, all right, fuck, I don't like the life I live. Now let's start to consume some form of content to help me reprogram this shit. So then I would say, figure out how you learn best. Is it through a podcast? Is it through reading? Is it through watching videos? Whatever that is, start consuming content from business people, entrepreneurs, positive-minded people, whoever you look up to in your space, in your industry, start consuming their content to then reprogram what's happening in your mind. Then I would say to stop hanging around with negative people. Like even sometimes the people closest to you, your family, your friends, sometimes the people that are really in your circle don't want the best for you. So it's understanding and having a level of awareness of who's really like in your corner trying to push you, trying to elevate you to be the best version of you. I think that's like the third thing. And then the fourth thing would be like, you have to put some of this shit into action, right? It's easy to read a book. It's easy to listen to podcasts. There's so many people that listen to Gary Vee, that listen to Mark Cuban, that listen to all these entrepreneurs, but then they don't do shit about it, right? Like you can mm-hmm. read about a 16 week marathon program and you can look at the hard days and the types of splits that you need to hit. But if you don't ever go onto a track, lace up your shoes and start running, it's irrelevant that you know the program, right? You have to actually put this shit into action because most people on earth learn best by doing and failing. They don't learn by just reading and sitting on the sideline, right? So I think for, that would be my steps. One, it starts with self-awareness, right? Have an idea of, you know, are you in a good place mentally, physically, spiritually? Start there. Then figure out, all right, your community, are the people around you giving you positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement? If it's the latter, then stop hanging around with those people, spend less time with them and spend more time with positive people. And if you live in a small ass town like Des Moines, Iowa, then you better be consuming a shit ton of positive content from from entrepreneurs, from people that you respect. And then there's just a level of putting that shit into practice. So I think everyone's starting point is different. So it's hard for me to be like, yo, you need to listen to this podcast and it's going to change your mind and X, Y, and Z. Everyone is going to be at a different point of like receiving that information. But I think from just a general starting foundation, start listening to more positive shit and hang around with less negative people. Watch what happens in 60, 90 days from just doing that. And I guarantee people could reflect and be like, shit, I'm, I'm in a better mood just by hanging with this person less. And people can actually like use that, like use that as the barometer of, of are you in a better mental headspace, right? Sometimes the people that are with you in your corner right now don't really want the best for you and it shows in your relationship with them. Yeah, 100%. I think like, I, I feel like, Matt, you've got this attitude of, like, I'm on this train, I'm driving this train and it's steaming through and anyone or anything that's not going to get on board, fuck them. That's what I, that's what I feel from you. Um, and it's great advice for anyone listening that, you know, might be, might be thinking, oh, I love that guy's content and I would love to do something similar. Um, I love the point about you talking about everyone's at a different starting point and changing up, getting rid of anything that's negative in their life, whether it's someone or something, and, and, and just reinforcing with, with positive people. And we now, we've, we've got such an abundance of, of positive, you know, content out there now from, from video form to audio form that you can just, you can fill your brain with the, the motivation you need to go and do what you want to achieve. Um, 
I wanted to touch on your most recent marathon, Matt, because you mentioned earlier on the pod you didn't hit your goal. Um, and I listened to a previous podcast that you was on. You, you mentioned that you know you hit about seventy percent or eighty percent of all of the work yeah. that was required to go into it. But that was probably co- coincide coincides with your you know your career snowballing so much. So no doubt that was hard. <laughs> that that was hard to juggle, no doubt. Um, <clears throat> but talk us through the race. Talk talk us through you know ha- how it transpired, what happened, and and where you had that where you had that right now. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think this is great and spot on just from it being two days ago, but. Um, yeah, I mean, to Lloyd's point, I think one humans put so much pressure on ourselves, right? Like, you know, it's, especially for me now, like I make an announcement on Instagram that I'm going to try to go for a certain time. And some people feel as if like, oh my God, if Matt doesn't hit that time, I wonder what kind of mental headspace he's going to be in and all these things. Right. Cause they think like, oh my God, that I have to, as competitive as I am, I am so unattached to the number. Right. Like to me, it's like the fact that I even completed it. The fact that I came out of it pretty healthy, I, I'm okay with, right? I think so many times when we're in this space of like, you know, trying to be better and, and to your guys' point, am I in self-improvement mode all the time? Of course not, but I am in that mode a lot. But even when I don't hit a time just like this marathon, I don't beat myself up too much because I understand that at the end of the day, like there's so many variables within a race that you can't control, Right. Like weather, um, you know, how hot it's going to be, all the things that, that come into control in a race that you have no power over, all you can do is just ask yourself, did you give your best effort, right? So for me, it's like, am I disappointed? Of course. Like, would it have been nice to hit a PR? Of course. But at the end of the day, for me, it's like, I am healthy. That I, I lean into the gratitude aspect again. There's people out there on the course that, that wish they could be running, right? There's people in the world that wish that they could run a marathon. The fact that I hit a sub three, and that's like, I'm, I sh- I'm upset about that because it's not a PR is quite ludicrous in my mind. So I don't necessarily, I'm not thrilled about it, but I'm also not depressed about it. I'm kind of just like, once again, just even kill with the, with the result. Um, do I think I could have done better if it was a nicer day? Of course, but that's just an excuse. At the end of the day, the dopest thing about marathons and challenges in general is that, you know, regardless of your training, you have to show up that day. And that day, it could be totally different, right? If I was in Philadelphia or if I was in a cold-ass climate, it could be better or worse. You just never know. But all you can do is show up for your best effort that day and give it all you got. So that's that's my mindset now. I mean, I'm uh, I'm totally cool with it. And my body's a little sore. So now I'm just like in recovery mode and um, getting ready for the next one. And just to be... Um... I feel like with with your platform, you have to be conscious of how your viewers are going to perceive it or how how your message is going to get across. And what I noticed from that video when you were, I know, the, the, the typical mile one, mile two, mile three, throughout that, even though the pain on your face got worse as the as the race went on, it remained the same that you were a positive, that was a positive video. It was so easy for so many athletes to make a video where they didn't hit their time, like you said, and it's a negative video. And that people who view that will perceive that your viewers will listen to that and think if I don't do that that's negative so I think something your message is so powerful because in your content people see you going through something that they will also go through whether that's a marathon that might be a 5k but they're still Mm -hmm. having the same experience as you and where do you feel like your influence is on the public now especially now you're getting more and more famous I'll use the word famous because it's to a point where you are famous what, how is how do you feel your responsibility is to um, the masses of viewers? And yeah. have you changed how you act a bit on camera to sort of cater to how you 
optimally want people to perceive your videos? Yeah, I mean, Alfie, I think this is a, a great question because, you know, some people think like, oh, like, you know, if you think about social media in general, most people post what they want you to see, right? It's hard. To, and the reason that people like authentic people that show the vulnerability, that show the good and the bad is because it shows that they're real human, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm not a robot, right? I'm not always, I'm not always in a great mood all the time, right? Do I see the good in the fucking world? Of course. But there's always times when you're down and out. So I think for me now, like, I feel like my job on social is just like to be as authentic as I can. I truly do not allow like me not hitting that PR. Like I'm not in a depressed state because of that. So it's very easy for me to stay positive, to stay authentic to who I am, because I don't allow a time to dictate who I am as a human. So I think for me, like, I love the fact that I'm able to take something that is maybe an L in someone else's eyes and still view it as a positive for me. Because at the end of the day, life's all about how you respond to adversity. It's how you respond to failure. It's not about actually hitting the time or, or always succeeding, right? Sometimes the biggest life lessons or successes in life are people that have overcome adversity. So for me, I want to continue to show that in my content. I think one of the favorite videos I just posted was like, showing what running is all about. And it was that video I just posted yesterday about like just inspiring other people, uplifting people when they're down and out because I've been in plenty of moments where mentally I've lost my headspace, right? And someone else has helped push me. And I think that's the dopest thing about the running community just in general. It's a very positive crew. And the more and more you're around it, you realize that no matter where you are in a, in a race, right? At mile 22, at mile 10, at mile four, there's always people that are trying to uplift you and, and elevate you. So I want to continue to do that in my content. And I think, you know, for me, just being someone who's a positive human being, I want to make sure that my content also portrays that. 100%. I think that if you put a, if you put a video out and, and 100,000 people see it and it uplifts one person, it's worthwhile putting that video out ultimately because it's, that could be the difference between that person starting their running journey and sacking it off completely. Um, Matt, I was just chatting to Alfie off, off camera there just about um, the, the planning and preparation that must go into your career now across multiple platforms and an ever-changing world that we're living in. You know, social media is changing every single day. Um, you know, most, most, most recently, TikTok has been obviously the, the power, power move from social media. But how has that, has that process changed? through your journey from up to the point of shooting. Now I'm not asking you to give us a free, a free masterclass, but I want to get an understanding to literally help me and Alfie and other listeners out there. How do you plan content in advance to the point of shooting across various platforms? And how has that, that, that process changed in those four years? Yeah, this is, this is excellent. And, and honestly, Lloyd, like I, for me, there's no trade secrets. Like I go on pause all the time and tell people everything I do. Like, I don't think that it's going to hurt my business. Right. Because I think the world is abundant. I got all of the things I've learned online, specifically from guys like Gary V from other marketing geniuses and the dopest people in the world have an abundant framework where they feel like if you help someone else, that's always a net positive but so many people play this world in defense and they're like, oh my God, I don't want to tell these guys because then they're going to go in the UK and take shit from me. When in reality, that's not how the world works. So to answer your question, I would say this, um, my, obviously my focus has been different, right? When I first started making content, I wanted, I was like everyone else. I wanted to win on Instagram because everyone, that's the social proof, right? That's like your validation of like, oh, you're doing well, you're crushing on Instagram. But during that time, this was during COVID where, you know, IGTV was popping because they wanted to be like YouTube, but they didn't really push out reels yet. 
And this is when TikTok was really, really starting to get traction. And I think for me, I switched over from being a, a heavy Instagram guy, focusing then on TikTok. So a lot of my time and energy went to TikTok and I started to do better there. Had a couple of videos go viral, just kind of sharing my journey, sharing my story. And there was like, at that moment, I was just posting like three, four, five videos a day, just trying to get data, just trying to see what works and what doesn't. Then when TikTok started to grow and I got community from there, I had my first opportunity to work with some brands and I'm like, oh shit, there's like a real thing here. So when Instagram then pushed out reels, I had this epiphany, like, wouldn't it make sense to just like use the same video on TikTok and then repost it on Instagram? Because I was like, I don't want to make two separate videos for both platforms. I'm like, you might as well just use the same video. So I then just started taking the exact TikTok video, even with, with the TikTok watermark, and I would just upload it onto Instagram. And I would just, just once again, to test. I think a quick tip here for anyone, you have to test. And this goes into part of the process of learning by doing, right? Testing is doing. You have an idea because you're getting data back that you can look at analytics on the posts. So in that process, I was like, oh shit, now people are actually consuming some of these, these videos on Instagram. So my flow of content has always been, all right, post on TikTok and then repost on the platforms that act just like TikTok do. So at the time it was Instagram reels. Now it's YouTube shorts. Um, so now the same video I post on TikTok is the same video that goes on Instagram. It's the same video that goes on YouTube shorts, the same video that goes onto Facebook shorts, right? So the videos are the same, but the strategy started to change based on what platform gave me the most organic reach. And I think that's the piece that someone that's listening to this that wants to become a creator, you have to understand that aspect. Attention is the game. Every single big brand wants it. Every sports company wants it because they want people consuming their activity. And the human nature of attention is the same thing. It's why reality TV does well. And it's why content is taking over the game. So for me, I just saw where the attention was. It was on TikTok. So I then focused my time and attention there. Right now in 2023 on January 17th, the attention is on YouTube shorts. So if you listen to this podcast and take away nothing of all the things I said, take this, start posting your content on YouTube shorts to gain traction there because YouTube shorts is acting just like TikTok did in 2020, 2021, where the early movers are starting to benefit off of it. And that's how they're building their community. But then to answer the last part of this, I invested a lot of time and assets into long form content in 2022. I really wanted to beef up my long form game because I understand that everyone communicates differently and you can only say so much in 30 seconds when you make a short form piece of content to really build something where people are like, yo, I want to watch a 15 minute, 15 minute video that I make. You have to have them engaged enough into your content for them to consume the whole thing. So this year was a focus on building out my long form YouTube platform just to, just to test it. I didn't do a good job of doing it on my own. And it wasn't until I brought out a team to help me build out my YouTube channel that it really made that process easier because I mean, you guys probably know editing YouTube videos that are long form, it takes a lot of freaking time and energy. Um, and sometimes it's hard to juggle that while you're doing short form because it's a shit ton of content. And, and also, right now, sorry, I think mm -hmm. I do one last question on the content planning, Matt. Um, how far, right now as we, as we sit here, how, how far in advance do you, have you got content planned? Do you work to a time frame? Uh, obviously a bank of ideas, like what does that look like? It's, it it kind of depends, um, Lloyd. I, I would say this. 
when I'm doing a campaign or something specific for a brand, it's probably planned out weeks in ahead just because talking with the brand, talking about what I need to say in the post itself, that stuff is typically planned out more in ahead. In addition to races like Houston, where I have an idea of what type of content I want to get, that stuff is typically planned. But day-to-day -day stuff, sometimes I'll make a video just off the whim of reading a comment or you know engaging in my community and seeing what people are consistently asking me for because I want to. I'm all about speed. I want to get out the kind. I want to push out the content as fast as possible when it's still hot, right? And I think that's been my game of just like get it out there versus like chasing perfection. So many people in content, they chase perfection. Perfection is just a subjective thing. What you guys think is perfect versus what I think is perfect is totally different. The only difference is the market needs to be the deciding factor, not you and I. So that's been a big part of it too, where it's like, I just get shit out there as soon as possible because I want to just see what people are engaging with and what they like. And that's the power of short form content in this day and age, because before yes. you couldn't do that. If you were making a long form piece of content on YouTube, you couldn't do speed. It, well, you could do it fast, but it would be hours and hours and hours, sometimes days. Whereas on TikTok, Instagram shorts, YouTube shorts, you can create an idea of content. And within 10 minutes, that could be up on social media. Obviously, normally it's longer because I think when you get to your level, and it might not be the case, but you have to optimize, like you said, for attention to a, a very high degree because there's so much competition on TikTok and YouTube shorts and people don't get, if they don't get their dopamine brush in the first two seconds, they're just going to scroll. So it's very important what you said, where you're doing things with intention and doing things with speed. And I feel like the, the, the way you adapt it to short form content. And now, you know, it's sort of consolidating where we see long form content as well. There's a bit of a mixture. It's just crucial that you've mastered attention rather than let's say the algorithm of platforms, which is important, but ultimately it's mastering attention. Would you say that's a fair assessment? No, 100%. And I think understanding that it gives you an idea of where you want to spend most of your time. And I think that's, that's been the biggest game. And I think so many, I mean, there's attention in, in a couple of ways, right. In, in this context there's attention in general of like getting eyes onto your content, right. Then it's like being very hyper-specific with the video, having a strong hook, in the beginning to Lloyd's point to make sure that someone's engaged in it, that they don't scroll through it. Um, but I think at times when you're only making content for views, for the metrics, you get vulnerable to only create perfect content that's like strong hook, very engaging. Of course, I think I have the context and understanding of those are the principles required to have a good piece of uh, content. But sometimes I just make videos that I know aren't gonna perform well. When I'm talking on podcasts and I'm talking mindset stuff or my content journey, I know that those videos aren't going to perform as well from the vanity metrics, but I still respect and I care about what I'm saying because I know it's going to impact someone else, even though the video is not going to go as viral. I know that for a fact, like there's running specific shit that I talk about. I know we'll get hundred K views, but I don't want to only do that because it's a, it's a gift and a curse. So many people rely on just their niche then they never test new shit. So then they always get stuck in that niche. And then when they get burnt out, they're like, oh my God, now I have to post a running video. I never want to get to that mode of feeling I have to do something. I want to post the videos I want to post and that's it. And I'm going to do that until I die. And like, that's my journey of content of like, I think so many times creators get stuck in the niche that they find themselves in and they don't know how to get themselves out. And part of that is they're not sprinkling in enough 
different and new types of content because then it gets super stale just doing the same stuff. And that relates You're, back um, to you. Sorry, I forgot for it, man. No, you go. It's all right, honestly. Your, your content, Matt, um, you know, I first came across your profile genuinely two months ago. It just came up on my feed. I don't know how, I don't know why. Like, I follow loads of content creators in the running space and I hadn't heard of you two months ago. And I was like, what? how have I not come across this guy yet? That's the algorithm, right? Um, but I love the short form content. So as soon as I saw it, I was hooked because I was like, I can get what I need in 30 seconds and then I'm, I'm on my way. I really struggle with long form content. I even struggle listening to podcasts. But where do you think now your content sits in that realm of the running industry where we've got the super elite content where you've got like the running teams in America, like Bauman and Tin Man creating these series all the way down to complete beginner level uh, content that's like top five tips for your next 5K. Like where do you see your content right now? Are you happy with where it's sitting and do you want it to move at all in, in, in where it is currently? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. I think where I sit right now, Lloyd, is like in a space of like, you know, really resonating with the large of the middle of the pack, right? Because like a sub three hour barrier is something that like, I'm not the fastest runner by far. There's a lot of way more elite runners that are way faster than I am, but they can't create the content that I, that I create, right? So I think for me, I think the biggest thing has been understanding that I want to talk to the person that I'm trying to speak to, which is that person that's like maybe on the couch right now that doesn't have the motivation to get started, that doesn't think that they can run their first half marathon or marathon or whatever it is, or maybe they're a former athlete and they're lost in the same thing that I was in, right? That kind of mindset of like, who am I now without my sport? So I think I'm in a space where I'm definitely a trailblazer because I'm coming into it with the short form content and obviously posting and recording as I'm running. And that element is a little bit different because a lot of people will be like, yo, like they need to feel like they have to have like a videographer and all these other things where a lot of my journey was just starting on my own. So I think for me, I love the space that I'm in because I know exactly the type of person I'm talking to. It's not Elliot Kipchoge. It's not Tin Man Elite. Like those guys aren't going to see my stuff. And even if they do, they probably aren't going to really relate with it. But the person that is signing up for their first half marathon or marathon that has a little bit of doubt, that doesn't know if they've prepared enough, that doesn't think that they can do it. I want to speak to that person because there's a mass of those types of people. And I think I'm very comfortable in that space. Would I like to further my um, knowledge and education to maybe extend further than that? Of course. But I want to be in a space where I'm continuing to be able to share my journey and my story in a positive fashion where other people can see that and hopefully get inspired to do something with their selves. And whether it's in running, whether it's in business, con in content creating, in, in other activities, I don't really care. I just want to create impact on the world in a positive way, more so than when I left it in that sense. Yeah, I'm, I think I've been thinking about this the whole podcast and I, I, when I see your content, it's it's something which strikes me the most. And in running, we talk about the commercialization aspect of athletes because generally elite athletes in the running scene, generally people say they don't get paid what they deserve uh, and the sure. sport, the elite level of the sport doesn't get the respects they deserve. And then you look at the flip side, it's running is the most participated activity on the planet. So the gap between, yeah, than the normal person who is running for fitness and maybe trying to run a 5k um, to the gap Elliot Kipchoge running a two hour marathon 
is so incomprehensible that bridge can never be formed between the two. So there's there's always a gap. And this question is for both of you, actually. Where do you think that bridge can sort of be developed to pave the way for people to start going up the ladder to sort of get into more uh, of the running scene? Because people get hooked. Running is very addictive when you start chasing goals. So where do you think people can go and get up the ladder to further commercialize running and also maybe bridge the gap to watch it at an elite level and enjoyment like you do in other sports? I think, I mean... I think the best thing someone can do is just like to, to, to go and be a part of the running community, right? Like the, the people that you meet, it's at a different scale than most events that I've been to CrossFit, high rocks, running endurance ultras. Like there's something about the running space where people truly do like they, people are typically very positive. And I think when you're around that community, even if it's just a 5k, and I think we need to stop like, saying it's just a 5k it's just this right because it f's it fucks with our mentality like running a 5k is just as respectable as running a full marathon as just as respectable as running a 50 miler like we need to change the goalposts of like what is success or what's pushing yourself everyone has a different level of comfortability and as long as you're pushing that envelope that's all that fucking matters and i think that's really what i'm about i get that it's uncomprehensive to, to, to the normal person to run hundred miles. And that's why I don't want to be just an ultra guy because it becomes unrelatable. But when you're in this space of like trying to better your PRs or trying to just get into running or just building a new habit, I think if you break it down at its simplest form, most people that are in the running community want to impact in a positive way. And I think if that becomes the narrative with someone who's like on the fence of 5k, 10k half marathon, that's how you're able to bridge the gap and make them realize like, oh shit, like marathons is not the only reward of or, or the only definition of success right like i think we need to change that narrative because so many people are like i'm just doing like even yes two days ago oh i just did the half marathon and i'm like what do you mean you just did the half marathon you fucking ran 13.1 miles and so many people when they compare it to like oh but david goggins did this but matt Choi did this i'm like well fuck what they did and i think that's the message i want to get to someone where it's like yo you should be proud of your effort period it doesn't matter how far it is, how fast you got there, X, Y, and Z. And I know that sometimes it can be confusing even in my content because I say, oh, mile one, 650, mile two, this. But that's just me sharing the fact that I have that split. It's not that that needs to be the pace that someone needs to run at. And so many people get that shit confused on social. They're like, oh my God, man, like you're, you're so fast, X, Y, and Z. I'm like, I'm just sharing my time. Now go do something for you, period. I think that to follow on from Matt's point is, that about probably four to five years ago, I had this goal within the UK to literally what you just said, Alfie, to bridge the gap between elite elite athletics and and the running community because I work in both worlds and I used to it used to really anger me that my community had never had the access to go and do a track workout because they would never step on the track because they're scared of all these guys running around in Lycra or they would never go and watch a track meet. And I'll be like, but there's a side of the sport you've never experienced that could be amazing for you. And then flip side, the elite side could never understand why. Why, why would you go to like a 5K social run with a load of strangers? And I'm like, because it's fun. And there's this massive disconnect that really frustrates me. And over the last few years, I've been banging my head against the wall of how to get around that. And I've, I wouldn't say I've given up on it, but I've changed the goal 
rather than bridging that gap, my whole focus is on volume and participation. I don't care how fast you are, if you're super speedy or super snail, whatever. As long as you're doing it and you're getting out there, if we can, if I can facilitate that as in my role, similarly to Matt through his through his job, amazing. And I think that people like Matt and content creators are shining a light on running. They're not shining a light on the Olympics. They're not shining a light on the long jump, the high jump, a specific element of it. They're just shining a light on movement, which is the best thing for anyone. Getting someone off, up off of their couch is the first step. And if we can keep shining a light on movement by giving people like Matt space on social media, keep having conversations like this, it's only going to result in more participation. The ones that are stuck in the mud, it's actually ironic. The ones that don't get on that train and are not on board are the same people that are stuck in the era, uh, the old the old running mentality, and they're stuck in that place where they won't understand that content. They won't understand this conversation. They won't understand why it's an issue and what is what is through the other side of that almost like blinkered view. So, yeah, in short, keep doing what you're doing, Matt. You're killing it. <laughs> I love Thank it. You so much, I appreciate that, man. And... I I want to talk about the future because you, as Lloyd said earlier, three years is a long time, but also it's not a long time at all. You've been doing this for a very short amount of time. When you people you're competing against in an influencer standpoint, a business standpoint, or just a running standpoint, it's your time period you've spent in here, but the impact you've had is so massive. And if you think like people look three years in the future and it's not even that far away, and that's your whole lifetime of a running entrepreneur so where does where do you go from here how do you evolve further and i know that's you could look at definitely one side of that is just getting more of a following inspiring more people because that is evolving that's improving because the more people you inspire to run i think that's the most net positive thing you could do and with the mindset things as well but what where's the future for you like what what are your big goals i love this um I think the best way I can answer it though, because there's not going to be something I'm going to say that's like a tangible number or thing. I think it's just like what I told you guys earlier, but like for me, it's like this addiction to learning and through that process of me sharpening my own mindset and, and learning new things, whether it's in running or entrepreneurship or content or business or wherever it goes, for me, I'm just very adaptable. I don't get too attached to things or the way that the current system works now or how it might work in the future. I just want to adapt with what's in front of me. And I think that's why I was able to go from Instagram to then TikTok to then go to YouTube shorts, to then go to Facebook, right? For me, technology changes and it doesn't care what us three think. It doesn't care what anyone thinks. Technology is going to move the way it does. But as humans, we struggle as humans to change because we like the comfort. We like what we know. We like the security. So for me, I always make sure that I'm able to stay adaptable and I'm accepting of change because that's the one constant in life. Whether it's time not stopping, change is the other thing that always freaking happens. So I think for me, the biggest thing is just continuing to sharpen that and make sure that as technology happens, and as, as those things do adapt, that I adapt with it. Because I think the biggest lesson I learned from Mark Cuban was this guy is a lifelong learner. And he's 50 something, one of the most successful billionaires, trillionaires close to um, entrepreneurs in the world, where if he's continuing to learn every single day, then how can someone like us three or anyone that's under that level not always do the same? So the world will never stop. And that's just something for me. I want to just continue to make impact, 
whether that results into more monetary gain, whether that results into more following, whatever it is, as long as there's a positive result in all of that exchange, that's what's the most meaningful for me. And I think as the world continues to adapt and technology changes as web 3.0 becomes a thing and it becomes more popular, maybe us three are rehaving this conversation in the meta and who knows what that's gonna look like. So I think I wanna continue to figure out you know, who I am as a human and in lights of doing that, just like the past three years, hopefully it inspires other people to do the same and, and, and kind of begin their journey. Do you, do you have any, um, do you have any uh, areas of the sport that you are keen to delve into? For example, I've seen you've done marathons, you've done road races, you've even done you know, 100 mile races. But I know that you do track workouts, I've seen them on your socials a lot. Um, is, tra- is a track race ever gonna beckon for you? Potentially putting the spikes on? <laughs> Look, it's funny you say this because I'm reading Born to Run 2 right now. And a lot of the foundation of that book talks about how when you're getting early into running, the best thing you can do is sprint and work on your sprinting mechanics because it translates better into running mechanics as well. Um, now, to answer your direct question, will I put spikes on? I, honestly, I, I could see myself doing something like that whether it's a timed 800 or 400 or something along those lines, or maybe something in the 5k distance, I think there's a lot of benefits for marathoners to actually hit the shorter distances to really work on speed and explosiveness. I look, Lloyd, if you've learned nothing else today, there's very little things I'll say no to in life. So there's always a (laughs) opportunity. (laughs) I mean, I just, I see this, I've got this vision of like, Matt Choi versus Nick Simmons over the mile at the track for five thousand dollars or something, something crazy. You know that's I'd pay to watch that. You know if someone said, "Oh, here's a, here's a live stream," I'm all over it. That's me. I, that's my Friday night. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to Nick. I've been in chats with Nick over the past year and a half. Um, so I'll, I'll see if I can make that happen. And, and you guys will be the first two I tell if we can get that as a green light. Nice, nice. <laughs> I love that. The, the last, I feel like we could speak forever and I want to leave opportunities for us to have over times to talk and develop points much further. Um, so the, the two of the things I want to close on, and the first one is you just mentioned Nick Simmons there and you know, there's other running creators. Do you ever take inspiration from them? And also, do you ever see yourself trying to, like you're on a podcast with us now, and what, what's the intention behind you uh, maybe coming on podcasts and maybe working with other creators? And do you think that creates a lot more value for viewers where they see people in the space working together? Because in other sports, um, you know, for example, basketball, you've got a round table of some of the best basketball players ever speaking about the sport. Uh, in any other sport, there's pundits in football or B- British football or soccer. Um, where, you know, there's the best footballers in history sitting around and talking about football week in, week out. And do you think there's a, there's a big gap there where maybe yourself and other influencers can sort of, you know, collaborate and really spread a good message to the rest of the people? Bro, I love that you said this because I couldn't agree more. Um, to first answer your question, do I gain inspiration? Of course I do. Guys like Nick Simmons, like seeing what he's done in the community he's built and how much fun he creates around running is such a positive freaking thing. I love Nick's videos. Um, at the same time, like my intention when I come onto podcasts like this is just to give back time, to give back energy. I know what it was like because I had my own podcast two years ago when I was at my mom's house 
trying to get in touch with other people that were like-minded and I wanted to interview them. And I knew that having a podcast could be that opportunity to host the party and then have the person that you really want to, that you want to talk with, interview them questions. Like that's the best way to get someone's time back. And I think something I really got from Gary V was like so many people that are in the, the content space, as soon as they build a little bit of traction, they build a little bit of a following. They think they're too big to go on podcasts and just to give back their time. For me, is there an incentive to do this as a positive thing? Of course, there's also an incentive for me to get content from this, right? Because I can record myself talking and that can be a snippet of content, but I don't always see it as like that transactional thing. I really just believe that if you do good shit in the world, if you do positive things, you help people out. And sometimes helping is just having a conversation. It goes such a long way. And I want to continue to cultivate those relationships. And it's what I've been able to do the past couple of years with the people I've been able to collaborate with. And all of them haven't been running specific. Some of them are just under the umbrella of health and wellness. But I would love for there to be a bigger round table of content creators and runners that collaborate. Because I think at a time where, you know, whether people think scarcity, when they think that there's, oh my God, if we help each other, then my stuff's not going to get as big. There's a lot of people that have that framework. And it's the reason they don't want to collaborate. They want to just keep their inner circle, their inner circle. But I just don't have that framework. I want to help as many people on earth because I know that people have helped me along the way. And I don't think that if I start not, if, if, if some other people win, then it doesn't necessarily hurt me. There's plenty of people that do the same exact videos I do now, mile one, mile two, mile three. I see it all the time. Do I think like, oh my God, they're taking my, my views? No. At the end of the day, they're building their brand. They're building their audience. So for me, I, I, I want to only spread positivity in the world. And if it happens through collaborations, that's amazing. If it happens through just, you know, giving back time like this, that's amazing. So I'm all for it. And the people that are actually about that stuff, I think it's easier to collaborate with them because they're in that mindset of like just giving. Yeah. And my, my last question for you, and th this does relate to everything we've talked about. And this is actually a, a theme that I've done on the podcast for a few episodes. I took it from a different podcast, the diary of a CEO where I our previous, our previous guest asks, asks a question they don't know who obviously the, the next guest is going to be. And then um, you obviously answer the question. So he asked very, uh, I think it's a question was very open to how you perceive it and how you want to ask, uh, answer it. And he just asked, why do you do it? Mm. And then am I, am I answering that question? Yeah. I love that. Um, for me, it's, chasing after this journey of understanding self. That's why I do everything I do. And it started when I was playing football, trying to figure out if my identity was just in that. And then it unraveled itself even further as I got out of that sport and out of that quote unquote, um, like out of that like category in that sense, right? So for me, it's like, I'm on that pursuit of just figuring out who I am as a person. And through that process, I wanna impact positively in the world whether it's one person or a hundred thousand or a million people, whatever it is, I want to leave the world a better place than I, than I left it. Yeah. I mean, so if, if anyone, if anyone wants to have a goal in life, it should be making the world a better place than where you left it and helping in any way you possibly can using your strengths to help yourself and other people in any realm. It doesn't have to be content creation. Like we're all sat here on a podcast. Uh, so it's easy for us to talk about this side of side of things, but in any realm, uh, whether that's you want to be a teacher and educate people, whatever you want to do, it should always be 
with a goal to improve yourself and help improve other people. I think that's uh, the main message I'd want to get out there as well. And for our, for our um, for our next guest, Matt, we're gonna get we're gonna obviously ask you the same. What uh, what question have you got for our next guest? Any question you you want? I love that. Um, I'll ask this: What's something that you had an opinion about before, but you've recently changed your mind out? I love that. We're gonna ask that on the next pod, and we're gonna let you. Know <laughs> I love that. that. Matt, it's been a pleasure, mate. It's been a very inspiring uh, hour and a half or so. I don't even know how long we've been talking. We could talk until the sun comes up in London. But yeah, mate, thank you so much for coming on the pod, mate. Um, I'm excited to see you grow. And we are definitely going to run together one day. Definitely we're going to get a running, guys. That's not even a question. I'm going to come to uh, London. Um, do you guys know the Wade twins? Oh, my God. Will and Henry are like very good friends of mine. No shit. Where that was like, yeah, I run, I, I run with Will once a week or two, Dude, once every well, two weeks. Yeah. Tell him that we chatted. I'm going to message him after, but um, I met them at New York City after they completed seven and seven, and we really connected there. And um, I saw them at the finish line because they saw me doing my double camera shit and all that stuff. And <laughs> I, I grabbed coffee with both of them the day after. And man, really, really good guys, wholesome humans. Um, I recently just watched their seven and seven YouTube documentary, but um. Dude, tell those guys I say what's up. I, I, they, they've been in my ear about coming out to London. So um, it's actually something on my 2023 list. So we're, we're all going to go on a run. That's not even a question. Let's do it. Sounds good. Sounds good. I love it. I love it. Obviously, just had that chat with Matt Choi. Wow, what an inspirational guy in more than one sense of the word. I mean, killing it in the running on Tent World. But also, I think he's just... I think he's just killing it as a human being. I think his outlook on life is very much, I don't know, kill or be killed vibes. Do you know what I mean? I think it's something that might have been kind of neglected by a lot of people, his mindset in terms of he's accountable. He always tries to learn. He always tries to better himself. And so many people get stuck in the mindset of just coasting through life. And he's he's very much the opposite where he's just constantly improving and if he's not obviously he said he has time to uh he has time to switch off but he's just always looking for something to do and something to improve and i think that's so important for people to just not mm. just go through the motions it's just everything is in, with intention and for me i get taken yeah. back from these podcasts i love listening to them as a host and sometimes i get so involved in what they're saying i forget that i need to ask a question in 10 seconds time so it's so hard to <laughs> to navigate those type of podcasts. best podcast though they're the best oh. ones. Like Joe Rogan, he just, just has a chat with people, right? Um, yeah. I think that Matt Troy as well, like, he is a, he, right now, he's a brand's dream. He is a commercial dream. And, you know, I mean, obviously he's doing that deal with Nike at the moment and Dick Sporting Goods and various other outlets. But, yeah, he'll, um, I'm surprised if, if, if there's not already or someone, someone like Apple Fitness get, get him all over there app or something like that because a, a brand could throw a si significant amount of money at Matt but they would make a massive return because of his quality of content but his work ethic I think that's what you're going to get value out of Matt his work ethic is so beyond so many influencers I know I know I know he's got an aura ring on as well so that health tracking data side of things it seems like he's got a an opportunity from them because I would add a, like you said I'd predicted Whoop would already be all over him. So, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
it's, so let's um, it, it, let's round up what's been going on in the uh, the running world of late, Alfie. Um, in the last week, do you want to kick things off with what's been going on through the eyes of Alfie? What's been going on in the running world, mate? What's been going on in the running world? I'm going to get some vital news coverage from uh, Trax's Instagram account to go through these point by point, so I don't miss anything that I want to talk about. Um, briefly, well, before, I do want to talk about start, this. Don't don't even dare start with this indoor 3K that you ran against Jake Whiteman. It fake news. You ran against Jake Whiteman in a park run. <laughs> park run. Do you know what? That would make a better video. If I did a YouTube video saying I raced Jake Whiteman in a park run, that would perform better than if I did it in a 3K. That goes back to what we talk about in the podcast. The the lower level of the sport in terms of times and all that gets more views. So maybe I wish I did race Jake Whiteman in the park run. So. More mass market, though, isn't there? There's more. There's more volume of people that aren't eight-minute three k runners that look at your content than there are. And it's the same as Matt. Like when I asked him about where does his content sit, it sit. He's happy where it sits because the millions of people that are in that realm of runner, from you know your complete beginners all the way up to sub three hours, just in sub three hours for the marathon, is massive compared to two twenty marathon runners. Yeah, and, and speaking of masses, this is this is a great transition. This is what a good podcast host does. It takes opportunities to transition to another point. Valencia 10K start line, the the crash, mm. what, the, the the crush of people, very dangerous. So I don't want to downplay it by my tone of voice here. Um, let's talk about that because Valencia has become one of the most popular races on the planet for 10K because of how fast it is at an elite level, and I'm also you know a local level in Valencia. And when you've got no segregation between the elites who can run 26 minutes and then 29 minutes and then 30 minutes and 31 and 32. You're going to get exactly what happened in Valencia, which was, if anyone's not seen the video, um, we've got a photo of it. The video is on an Instagram account called un- at run underscore IX. And essentially right now. hundreds of people were trampled, which is extremely dangerous. So I don't want to take away from the fact that is a it's a health hazard at the at the highest level um i don't that to, to me it kind of highlights where we're at in the sport where lots of people participate but we're not taking it seriously enough to uh cater for them and to sort of welcome people into the sport at a different level than just maybe the parkrun and that's why people choose to do a parkrun because the risk of getting trampled on is probably lower so what are your opinions on that, the whole situation? Because it's, yeah. it's not great. No, it's not good. I mean, I'm watching I'm watching the video now. There's a few videos circulating. Obviously, you've got the main video where it, it, when people are already on the ground. Um, and then there's another video that the same Instagram account posted where a lot the, the front row of the race are beyond the start line and they're sort of shepherding, shepherding them back like a herd of sheep. And then there's a video that they uploaded yeah, one day ago where it like pans across the first half of the start line. You've got like Andy Bouchard and Gressier and Sam Harrison, Mohamed Mohamed Bear. Um, and you, you can't stand straight on. You've kind of got to stand side on. It's that packed. But I think I've heard a lot of stories from people that were in the race and I've heard some feedback to actually understand what happened. Now, this is not 100% accurate because it's just it's what you know people are telling me that happened. But basically... It was segregated from the start line backwards, kind of like waves by a line of tape. Now, I don't know how that's set up, but it sounds to me like, you know, 
30 to 32 minute runners are in one section, except, and you know, 32 to 34 and by this tape, whether that's accurate or not. Now I know that there was a tape between the elite entries and the front of the non-elite entries. Now at the front of the non-elite entries were still some insane runners. For example, Zachary Mohammed was a non-elite entry and he ran 28, what did he run, 28, 26, something like that. Now, yeah, something like that. I heard a rumor that someone broke that tape because, or went under the tape because they wanted to be in the elite start. Now that then uh, was a bit of a domino effect and a few people around them did the same. And then all of a sudden tape was dropped and everyone just crammed in, okay? And that ultimately was the first problem. Now the race starts and in this video where everyone's on the floor, I heard that someone broke the collarbone. I heard a girl broke her nose. Um, that's, that's the two injuries that I heard, but obviously a lot of people were affected. Um, I mean, one girl on the floor that's probably getting the most headlines is, is, is she's wearing the white singlet with blonde hair and uh, her sunglasses go flying and she probably lost at least 20 seconds. But one story that, one positive story that's come out of this is that there's a guy here that's shielding this woman and she, he's a running coach. He, he used to coach, um, who's, the, who's the guy on Instagram that's, um, does all the does all those Instagram reels of the drills? He's a friend of Trackstep. But he's Berto from. Yes, uh, Berto Bob. Yes, yeah, sorry. he used to coach Berto Bob because Berto Bob posted about it today. And if you watch this video, zoom in on this guy. He's got he's got, he's a bald guy with a white singlet. He is shielding this girl who is her face is on the floor like she can't move her head up because there's like limbs above her head, and he is shielding her to try and help her to get up. That guy deserves a gold medal because, like, I, I dread to think what would have happened if, if they'd have just all trampled over. Like, she could have taken a boot to the face. Like, it could have been really bad. So, real negative situation, but a good story to come from in the sense that there are good people out there. Like, he sacrificed his own race there to look after someone that he may not have even known. But to wrap my point up on this is I said this to two of my friends that actually raced on the day. I said that this race will be so much better from this occurrence. So next year, you will see it, well, hopefully, it will be super safe. It will be much more segregated from, you know, with waves and that. Um, but it shouldn't happen. And, it, and it's just that, it's just doing your due diligence, man, around, around safety. That's what it is, I think. Yeah, and you could look at it two ways. It wouldn't have happened maybe if the split it up a bit more, but it also wouldn't have happened if people weren't idiots and all decided to just yeah. cram in and, and also, I was disgusted watching that video, how everyone was just scrambling, jumping around, jumping over people, stamping, standing on people so they could carry on mm. with their race and get a faster time, stopping and starting the watch rather than focusing on making sure the person they're standing on isn't unconscious. So I was disgusted by a lot of people in that video. And like you said, the person who did that is actually great publicity for coaches, running coaches, which has uh, taken some backlash recently uh, <laughs> to, to not get into any more situation. Um, as well as that, we had Houston, the race in Houston, the marathon and half marathon. And we'll talk about Tim Mann separately in a second. But one thing I do want to say about those races were the conditions I've heard weren't ideal for distance running, a bit hot, etc. But someone who really impressed me, or I, I guess, yeah, the right word is really impressed, was Parker Stinson, uh, who's, who's come mm. back from so many setbacks. And whenever we post about him, he generally gets a lot of stick as well for a variety of different reasons. 
So I think it's just great to see him. Someone also who's with a bit more of an unconventional brand with with uh, Sockney, see him come through and back to, I guess, where he belongs in the sport. Because at the end of the day, he is, he is an American record holder at 25K. So he is a very good runner. And it's just great when you see that sort of comeback story. Um, so yeah, it was just nice to see Parkinson back in uh, some unreleased Sockney shoes as well, which is always fun. We saw Connor Mance in some unreleased Nike shoes as well, which were the traditional Nike, no logos, blacked out. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, sure that's deliberate to make more speculation, add, add hype to it, obviously. Uh, so it's always, you know, I'm a big shoe geek. It's always interesting to see stuff like that and to see people like Connor Mance race against Wesley Kiptu and Edward Cheserak as well, which is kind of of an NCAA story if you follow along with that. Uh, so Houston was a great, a great competition, competition all the way through. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I agree on the Parker Stinson uh, comment. Parker Stinson's like, he was one of my first athletes that I watched a lot of video content of. Um, you know, watching him just run his loops and smashing sessions. And I used to, I used to be a bit mesmerized with how good he looked when he ran. Like, he's, he's for such a, he's quite a short guy, but his stride was amazing. So I usually used to just watch him for, for hours on a new video of Parker Stinson, I'd be all over it. Um, and yeah, he takes a lot of flack. He takes a lot of stick. I think that it comes from obviously uh, that that era of Oregon uh, where running was so elite at the time. But and you come out of that system and you're you've you've you're set you're on a pedestal where you're expected to take over the world. And if you put yourself out there with those goals to say, right, I'm gonna I want to qualify for the Olympics. I want to break the American record, which Let's be honest, anyone that wants to go to the Olympic trials and qualify for the Olympics as an American marathon runner is, is at some point going to say, I want to break the American record, especially now with the new shoes. Like everyone's just going to gun for it. Um, and then after running the 25K American record, I think that there was so much pressure on Parker Stinson to, to run something seriously fast. And, you know, the marathon is a tough event for anyone. And you only need one, two bad or below average days whether it's a DNF or it's slower than the target that you wanted or you blow up or whatever, that the sport can really turn on you from a public sense and the, and, and, and the feedback that he's got and some of the stick he's got, but also in your own brain. And, I, and I'm confident in saying that I guarantee that Stinson has gone through some real dark times with his running, like real times where he's probably just thought, you know, this is not for me anymore. And he's probably thought about retiring so many times. But that story of Rocky Balboa, man, everyone loves the comeback. The story, you know, the, the, the comeback's better than the setback. And I think that this run shows that you're not a bad runner overnight. He's still got it. Devil's advocate in me is saying that I now want to go and I, want, I now want to see him go and run a fast European marathon. I want to go and I want him to, to go to a fast course and turn up. Show us the Parkinson. Go and run that 209 in Berlin or, you know, wherever it may be. Um, that's what I would like to see next for him. Um, but and then on the, the on the super shoe front, I've literally just taken a screenshot of Charlie Hunter's Instagram story because he put some he put a photo up of um I think it was uh, it was either it was the new dragonflies he put a, he put a photo up of the new dragonflies once and then he deleted it. But he put a photo up of the uh, of post track session dragonflies and there's the vaporfly three next to them in an outrageous colorway. They are fire. How nice are they, man? They're like, what, are they like orange and lime green? So that upper, like so that, I just, it's, it's still, 
there's photos everywhere. Um, I mean, you know, they're not officially out yet, but when pros generally are allowed to post things on their story, it's obvious that that's a, an a, a effective marketing technique. But I just want to say something. They do look unreal. And with that, the upper was, from the leaks, had a lot of speculation that it was going to be traditional flyknit, where, you know, with flyknit's a great material, but it's evolved since then. But that that upper seems ridiculous. Like the, that color really helps emphasize uh, the gaps in the shoe, and it looks like the most breathable mesh mm. I've ever seen in my entire life. So it's not it's not I mean, flywire. It's not it's not um it's it's new. It's, not, it's new, isn't it? Yeah. No, I know. I can confirm. Like very limited on what I can talk about on these shoes, but it's a new upper, hundred percent. I can tell you that for free. Um, and yeah, they are coming out very soon. So they're going to be fast. Um. Yeah, it's almost like a hybrid between a. It reminds me of the old lunar lunar racer days, like lunar racer, lunar tempo days. The uppers on that. Um, these are going to be a good shoe. I think I'm very excited for these. Um, but unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see Kipchoge racing them though, because he won't step away from the alpha bike. Never will he step away from the alphas. Did you did you just say I think it's going to be a good shoe? Hot take of the year from Lloyd Kempson. I think the Vaporfly is going to be a good shoe. I don't think I've ever heard anything more obvious in my entire life. Uh, but yeah, it is, it's obviously going to be unreal shoe. And I don't think Nike would make such drastic changes if it wasn't going to be an improvement. Uh, but like you said, mm. Kipchoge, we're going to have to see people like Jakob, people like Conor Mance, even though Conor Mance was in the Alpha Fly, actually. But, you know, there's a good variety. And I think that's where we want to be with shoes, where, you know, four, four three years ago, it was the, if you weren't wearing the Vaporfly, you were going to be slower. Whereas now at least there's a variety of shoes where it keeps it more um, balanced across different brands. And also it drives competition even further to innovate more. And also it takes away from the fact that you just say, oh, you only won that race because of the shoes, which is also a good thing. Um, there was also a American record from Emily Sisson in the marathon. She is it a half marathon, sorry. She took 19 seconds off her, her own record um so you know incredible performance by her i think she's really honed in on on the roads now and i think she's she's in that purple patch at the moment where she's only going to get faster but yeah it's going to be interesting it's kind of like over to the rest of the field now i could say 19 seconds is like there'll be athletes looking at that and being like well i thought i could break it by 30 seconds so it's still doable you think yeah i mean just a shame for every other athlete that she broke her own record so now the second yeah. fastest American ever is her last year. So, yeah, but I mean, in the American distance running as a whole, especially in the marathon, especially the women's marathon, you know, you've got, I mean, people forget about like Sarah Hall, who had an absolute storm of a race in London uh, a few years ago. Mm. There's so many different people who can break those records. And yes, Sisson has come along, American record in the half, American record in the marathon, back down to the half and another American record. So she has sort of taken the limelight, but I think there is many people. We're forgetting like Molly Seidel as well. She's had obviously a quiet year because of injuries. She's an Olympic medalist from the most recent Olympics. So there's so many people who could challenge those records. And just going back to the super shoe, she was also wearing an unreleased prototype from New Balance. So that's just quite interesting, um, again, for the shoe geeks out there. But yeah, it's just amazing to see records get broken because it just drives competition and drives excitement and you know, imagine from a British British perspective, because we're obviously 
always going to be biased when we see British records. If we saw someone like take down, I don't know, imagine if we saw someone take down Farah's 10K record or something like that. It'd be an unreal achievement. So I feel like sometimes when it's on the roads in the marathon, it's hard to sort of comprehend what they're doing because records seem to get broken all the time. Yes, that's because of the development in shoes, but now we've consolidated with the shoes. So the records that are getting broken mm. now are breaking records because they're running very fast and they are the best runners um, out of the out of the rest of them. So every record we see now is just another step up of running performance, which is great to see. There's also a, um, there was a day, a couple of things that I saw that are, like good things from the running world in the last, last week. Um, Jenny Simpson made a debut over the half. She ran just a tick outside 70 minutes. That'd be interesting to see how she navigates the roads coming off the track. Obviously, massive career on the track, but stepping up to the roads now. And then over you know, down under in Australia, they had the, uh, the National Cross Country Championships, which was a qualifier for the World Cross, uh, which is also out in Australia. Um, there was a long course race and a short course race. In the men's short course, Dewey just, you know, I think it was literally a I want to say it was like a 2K race. So Stewie just went for a tempo um, and qualified. And then in the men's long race, um, qualifiers were all from MTC. They had uh, uh, Jack Reynolds at the win. Uh, Matt Ramsden was second and Brett Robinson was third. I think Brett's run was really impressive off the back of his um, Australian marathon record. Uh, Rambo took it out real hard and gapped the field by quite a bit. And then I think they reeled him in. And then over in the women's race, one of the things that's made me smile the most this week in the running world was Genevieve Gregson returned to competition. Her first race back since giving birth to little Archie, um, which also uh, that pregnancy followed Achilles reconstruction after she shattered it in the Tokyo Games in the steeplechase. And not only has she gone through that rehab, she also has gone through pregnancy, giving birth to the little boy, got back into shape, moved location with Ryan. I think they live now in Brisbane, so they train alone, more or less. And yeah, she towed the line in the women's cross race. And you know what? I think she actually did pretty well. So it'd be interesting to see Jen come back to the scene. I know she said openly to me and two people in the scene that she's not done yet. And don't ever write off a Gregson. That's one thing I've learned from knowing those two. I was just waiting for the, the drop, the name dropping of you saying that she said something to me or because if anyone doesn't know... <laughs> Lloyd is essentially a um, Australian. I know people. I know people. <laughs> Just the first time we ever saw each other in person, Lloyd was at Milton Keynes, um, in a quite a questionable pub um, oh, yeah. restaurant. And that was you were sat with who were you sat with that day? The Gregsons. Um, told yeah, you not to yeah, order the, the lasagna because it was a pretty disappointing lasagna. So it's Force just me. Lloyd knows a lot of, uh, especially Australian runners, actually. Which is makes yeah, sense. Yeah. You you went to Australia for anyone who doesn't know. I'm sure everyone does know that if yeah. you know Lloyd. Um, something else I did want to talk about. Uh, back to the US, and this has got quite a lot of talking about it on social media, and a lot of people are asking us what are you on about, and it's because people don't understand the concept of this. Is that Sam Parsons is an unsponsored athlete, so people are confused by that because he's still at Tin Man, which is an Adidas sponsored slash supported team but as far as i'm aware the only adidas athlete now on tin man who's actually an adidas athlete is drew hunter so mm. just because sam parsons runs for tin man he 
isn't he's no longer a paid Adidas athlete. Now this opens a whole different can of worms, a whole different kettle of fish. What happens if he signs with someone like Nike or on? What happens to him at Tinman? What happens to Tinman? Because Sam has been there since the start. What, how mm. does that go? Like Sam is Adidas. Like it it doesn't make sense. What are your I thoughts? Think... From my knowledge of, of um, I don't even know what you'd call it, but from my, from my experience of working with Nike and, and understand the elite contracts and stuff. So um, Drew, Drew's obviously on that 10-year Adidas deal, right? I don't know if that's legit, but that's from what I've heard over the years. So he's still contracted athlete. Um, Sam was. I mean, Sam deserves to be. Oh, I mean, Sam's fantastic runner. But his contract is up. Now, I don't know whether Adidas just decided they didn't want to extend it or Sam has decided that to look elsewhere. You know, generally in an elite contract, say it's, say it's three years long, you are legally not allowed to discuss contracts with any other brands or agents uh, up until a certain date. So that may be two months before the end of your term. You can't. You legally against that contract. You can't. You can't talk to. It. So Sam wouldn't be able to talk to a Nike or an On or whatever. That's not. That's not 100 true for every contract. But that's from my experience for what I've seen. So maybe it got to the point in his contract where he thought there's all more opportunities out there, or there's people that have come knocking. Like you know, On have obviously investing loads of money into athletes in the sport. So maybe On have gone knocking on his door. I feel that there's now more money being pumped into pro teams like Tin Man around the world. Obviously, you've got the On set up out in. Um, where are they both? Germany? Um, are they in Germany? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll see where Sam's from. Um, you've got the uh, OAC, the, uh, the alternative version uh, with Ritz and Hine. And that's just a two examples. How I think this affects Tin Man, this is tough. This is, this is a mess because if Sam signs for another brand, there's surely no way that Adidas will allow him to run in for, for Tin Man in a Tin Man singlet that's for another brand logo. It just can't work. So my thinking is, is that he may, he'll, I, my prediction is he'll stay as a coach because it's worked well for him if, it, if he's confident in that and he'll move to a new brand or he'll just move to another team. I think he'll move to, uh, to like another pro team. So my, my opinion is, first of all, like you said, if, if he, if he changes brands, he's not part of Tin Man anymore. No way is that being allowed. And for me, the detriment for Tin Man is so I see Tam, Sam as more Tin Man than anyone else in the team. That's no disrespect Agreed. to anyone else in the team. I just think Sam embodies Tin Man and what it was built. And it's just, I think he's the face, even though Drew's obviously the most famous. I think Sam's the face of it. Um, my prediction is he's going to Sam with on. It makes sense. You know, their headquarters in the Europe is uh, in Germany and also the I guess main group in America is in Boulder so he wouldn't have to move uh, he wouldn't have to relocate which helps a lot in life and choosing where to go next I just think it makes sense on a friend a lot of money that athletes at the minute and having someone like Sam on board would be a great addition and Dave from Ritzenhain is one of the best coaches in the world so from Sam's point of view it makes a lot of sense to train with people um, that Sam will get an opportunity to train with it makes a lot of sense and then if he wants to come to Europe you know uh, they train in St. Moritz in South Africa, uh, the Europe team. So it seems like a no-brainer to Sam, for Sam, if that opportunity arises. Uh, I don't know anything. Uh, I've spoken to Sam 
And I knew this was going to happen ahead of time. I knew he wasn't going to get um, re-signed, or at least that was a conversation. Um, but he hasn't said anything about where he's going next. So maybe we need to have him on to speak about it in detail. And maybe we can break some news eventually with uh, what happens next maybe. to Sam Parsons. I think I, uh, I love Tim Manley. I love what, they, what they've achieved. But I agree that Sam, is, Sam, for me, is a massive cog in that wheel. I think if Sam goes, that wheel is massively damaged. Like, it is going to struggle to turn because Sam's values are so much more than the sport and the competition. Um, yeah, I just don't know. The only way that if, if Sam moves, if Sam goes from Tim Man, the only way I see Tim Man being being able to continue and move forward and continue on that meteoric rise in that space is for the other guys to step up and do more commercially, do more with content, be more present alongside their competitive athletics. That's not easy to tell a pro athlete that's not used to that to do. Oh, yeah, mate, we now need you. We now need you, um, like Corey Ogston, some of these videos. We actually need you doing content. Like, imagine that. Like, you know, mate, I'm running 100 miles away. I'm cooked. Like, I'm not, I've never done this. I'm just here to run. So it's going to be difficult. But, you know, I hope, I hope that everyone wins out of it. I hope that Sam can find something that works for him as athletic. And ultimately, I hope Tim Man still thrives because Tim Man's great, I think. Yeah. It's it's a great component of the sport. Definitely helped. I feel like transition into the new media age and uh, commercialization of following rather than just times. So, you know, the more that progresses, the better it is for athletes who can develop commercial opportunities as well. That's all I have on the running news. Is there anything else you've got uh, on your side of things? Uh, no, nothing for me. Um, it's been a pretty pretty quiet week other than that and Valencia 10k and Houston were the only kind of like main races that that were on my radar um what have we got coming up in the racing scene in terms of our radar what's going on so we've got some stuff in for so the armory is now Nike actually that's something I forgot to mention so there's a lot oh, of indoor yeah. races so the Milrose games huge uh the army armory races huge um from our side of things where we'll be sort of looking i guess there's some domestic british races you know you've got armar coming up as well and um, but also you've got some events which I'm, we'll be speaking about next week uh i don't know how much we can talk about now and if this podcast will come out after uh but we'll i'm sure we'll have a full podcast talking about what we're doing next week after we've done it so stay tuned for that as well mm. um yeah, I'm, me and you are you going on holiday. yeah a holiday let's not call it no a business a business trip a business trip. Nah, fuck that, mate. That's a holiday. A holiday. <laughs> holiday. I'm, I'm going to be running through it anyway, so it's 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 all work for me from my side of things. Cool, cool. Well, thanks for having us on, mate. Thanks for carrying me through my first podcast with, with Chaxter. Um, and yeah, I guess I'll I guess I'll speak to you next week, but I'll probably actually speak to you in about forty-five seconds. Yeah, yeah. So to everyone else, see you next week and. Uh, Thank you for listening. And just to let you know again that Trackster will be going through a complete evolution in 2023. So make sure you stay tuned. And also please leave a like on, uh, please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just helps us with feedback. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to uh, reach out to us on Instagram or in the comments of any posts you see. Uh, so yeah, thank you and goodbye.